get into the sermon. And this is something I've been thinking about for, for several weeks, because one week I got really sick, and I was supposed to preach, and I ended up not being able to be here. So it's been, it's been in my head and in my heart. And uh, it either means I've overthought it, and that's going to be blah, blah, blah. Or it means, you know, God's really reached me in a deeper way with this. And I'm, and I'm really excited to see how we can be inspired by the scriptures and what Jesus teaches in particular toward praying, toward praying. So we're going to be looking at uh, Luke 11, uh, 1 to 13. We'll be reading that together in a few minutes. But yes, this sermon is about prayer. So here's, here's the questions I want to look at before we get into this topic where we see Jesus inspiring us to pray. So are, are you one of those Christians who has given up largely on practicing prayer? This very central discipline that we read about in the scriptures. Is this something that you've sort of found yourself not praying as much or maybe not at all these days? Are you someone who, who used to pray but stopped? Um, or someone who prays much less than they used to for some reason? Now, are you someone who almost has an involuntary, involuntary reaction when people talk about prayer, where you sort of are, are like, oh, kind of a, a scoffing kind of thing? Not because you're mocking it, but because of disappointment and pain at perhaps some unanswered prayers in your past. Are you someone who's become cynical about prayer? I have definitely been, like, like anyone else, through seasons and cycles with, with prayer, this idea of prayer. So today I'm, I'm preaching definitely from, from experience. I want to encourage you in the ways I've been encouraged, and hopefully all of us will be encouraged towards prayer. The truth is that all of those places that we talked about are places that all of us have probably been before when it comes to prayer. Jackie and I have gone through, through a season of disappointment with prayer. Praying where we prayed something that we really felt was God's will, and we prayed fervently, we prayed every day, multiple times, prayed with other people about it, and just the thing that we were praying wouldn't happen, happened. That's painful. And to make, to make matters worse, you know, this was me and Jack, this is in our marriage, and me and Jackie are trying to, oh, we'll take this, this, this prayer need that we have, it's an opportunity for us to draw close together and do a spiritual discipline together. So not only do you get this, feel discouraged when the, the prayer doesn't get answered, it goes the opposite direction, also, you think, oh, we, we spent every day praying on this. We finally were disciplined enough to, like, do prayer the way we think we should be doing it, and the opposite happened. That's disappointing. That's disappointing. These experiences can really have an effect on your perception of God's goodness. They really can. When you pray for, for someone to be healed of cancer, someone who's a Christian who loves the Lord and has small children um, and they aren't healed, which is what we, we kind of went through. Um, they aren't healed in this life, of course, but perhaps, he, you know, obviously healed in the afterlife. It can be very, very difficult. And me and Jackie struggled and we shared with our small group that we're struggling. We're struggling. We want to pray but maybe our, pic our picture, not God's goodness, but our picture of God's goodness is fading. Jesus said in John, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world through my death and resurrection. Yeah, in this world you will have trouble sounds like an understatement to many people, right? Um, this world is stained by the unholy trinity of sin, sickness, and death, you know? Lots of trouble in this world. 
it can be very easy to lose heart, to even give up on prayer or to give up on God. But I want you to know this morning that regardless of if the last time you prayed was this morning or last night or two years ago, there is no condemnation for people over their success or failure with prayer. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. God is not interested in yesterday and how things have been going. He wants to inspire us by his word today while not condemning us for our yesterdays. Isn't that amazing how God is? He, doesn't, he, treats, us, he tra- treats us as if we had never sinned. He treats us as if we had the righteousness of Jesus, who had a perfect prayer life. He did only what he saw the Father doing. He went off to solitary places to pray. Jesus Christ and God sees that righteousness of Jesus on us through the cross. So there is no condemnation for, for people that feel like they failed at prayer. All we have is this moment. And this is the moment God wants to inspire us to pray. Now, we all know from the Bible that prayer is important. If you were to ask a child to say, what's important about your faith? Prayer would be one of the things they said, along with Bible reading. Everyone kind of knows that prayer is important. But despite that fact, many have given up on prayer or even the idea of praying. Sometimes people give up or become discouraged because of confusion about the mechanics of prayer. You know, how does prayer work? And confusion about how prayer works causes you to stop praying until the day when you fully understand how it works, which is never. So you're not going to pray if you need to understand all the mechanics of prayer. But Christians of all stripes struggle with what they, what they should expect from God versus what they should be taking care of on their own, as was talked about earlier by my mom. Good job, mom. We tend to think in very all-or-nothing terms when it comes to prayer. Either God does everything when we pray, and I do nothing, (laughs) or I do everything, and I don't pray, because God is not going to be helping. We are so prone to that all-or-nothing thinking. Therefore, a lack of understanding and confusion about how prayer works, it can make a difference for some of us more than others, and even keep you from praying. There are many reasons why people do not pray, stop praying, or become discouraged. And we're not going to be able to address all of those things today. Luckily, I don't feel that we have to. But we're going to look to the Bible to find encouragement from Jesus to, to look at how we can think about prayer now and moving forward. There was a, a Pew Research report that said that recently, they said 68% of Christians pray at least once daily. 17% pray weekly, 5% pray monthly, about 10% pray seldom or never. So that's, that tells you kind of where people are with prayer in a very general way. Uh, I, I saw a, a recent article that claimed that less than 50% of American adults pray daily, less than 50%. And so I wonder about you, I wonder about me when we're looking at this. What category would you place yourself in in this area of prayer? Regardless of which category you find yourself in, um, I wonder how often, I wonder how often you think about prayer, and think to yourself, "I should be praying," or ask yourself the question, "Why don't I pray anymore?" These are all things that we we look at. So today we're going to be in Luke 11:1 to 13. This is a great passage, 
And the, the really cool thing about this passage is it is reiterated in other parts of the Bible, so it's just this very reliable kind of teaching. Before we get into reading that passage, I would like to invite the, the kids. Uh, if you did not get a coloring page, there's clipboards in the back, and there's two prayer coloring pages on them. And I want you to have that coloring page, so if you need to go get it, you can get it on that table over there. And uh, we're going to be uh, working on that page as we work through the sermon. So let's start off with our, our passage in God's word, to, God's word today. This is Luke 11. And it's up on the screen for you as well. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Join me in prayer. Father God, I just pray that you would bless our ears to hear your message, that you would give us hope and encouragement from your word that we'd be able to take from this place that would transform our lives and our perspective on prayer and the one we're praying to, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our passage today in Luke 11, uh, Luke has gathered three, three little lessons about prayer and formed them into this really tight teaching, which, which really needs to be taken together if it's going to be digested properly. So the way I thought about it is like, if there's three parts to prayer in Luke 11, it's like three different pills and you have to take them all. So you put them all in your mouth and you swallow them with some water. You take them all down at once. And when you take them together, you can really uh, see what he's saying. I think wherever we find ourselves in the spectrum of praying, uh, we, should re we should receive encouragement from this one. So let's look at each, each of these three things in the passage. First of all, we have Jesus being asked by his disciples to teach them a prayer, and then him not saying not saying no, but enthusiastically saying, okay, here's a prayer. So we see that Jesus does not have a problem with us asking this question, and uh, he encourages us by giving us the thing we're asking for. So this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, um, 
sometimes Catholic know, Catholics and other denominations know as the Our Father, because it's the first words of the prayer. Uh, this, this prayer deals with really big themes of God's work and redemption in the world, in the lives of others, and in our lives. So, disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Just like John's disciples got a prayer for them. And Jesus seems to agree. So Jesus responds, after they ask them to teach him how to pray, by saying, not by saying, when you pray in the original language, but whenever you pray. Which is really interesting, right? Whenever you pray. So it's, he's like saying, every time you pray, keep this prayer in mind. And Jesus gives the disciples a prayer to memorize and recite when they pray. And what we see here is Jesus giving us a, a very simple but really effective pattern for prayer. Um, it's something that's meant to actually teach our soul how to pray. So when I believe that when this prayer is, is repeated and understood, because all the parts of it are, are comprehensive, um, it kind of rewires us to on how we are to think about praying. And the very act of praying the Lord's Prayer here uh, conditions our hearts to know what to ask God for and how to ask him, which I think is a really wonderful thing. Um, so this is, this, is, this is the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Uh, sorry, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread in this version. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is a pattern. And, uh, and it's meant to teach us, to teach our soul how to pray. Every time we pray, we should think about these things. The very earliest churches, according to, to the history, uh, history books and reliable sources, they prayed this prayer together as a congregation. Many congregations today pray this prayer. We've prayed this, this prayer before. It's to give us a pattern. The pattern has, has two big parts. There's a God part, and there's an others part. And others could either be you or other people. So um, this is a really important part of prayer. The first part, and um, the prayer, I think, is meant to, to, it's meant to help us to learn to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So these two things are in the prayer. The first part begins in this prayer of, with turning towards God, asking him to establish his kingdom and his redemption. We do not always know what God is doing, but God encourages us to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And when you follow this pattern of prayer, you are thinking both about the world around you and about yourself. Let your kingdom come in my life. Let your kingdom come in my world, in my family, in my church. Let your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If the realm of heaven is a place where everything is set right, which is what I believe it is, and God is ruling fully, and there's no sin, sickness, or death, then we're praying that that realm of heaven would overlap on our current realm and bring about those good things that God has uh, paid for us into our current experience. Let his kingdom come, let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of this prayer turns us toward others, and by others I mean ourselves and other people, of humans, if you will. 
asking God for daily provisions, what you need for yourself and for other people, by asking God to forgive other people who have sinned against us, just like we have been forgiven by God, we are to ask God to forgive others who have sinned against us. And by asking God to sustain others, to preserve us from falling away from the faith. That's what that part about the end, the end of the prayer where it says, um, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not talking necessarily about a specific sin, but it's talking about keep us from the temptation to leave the faith, to stop praying. Keep us from that ultimate temptation. When times get hard in this world, uh, keep us from that. All of this prayer is Jesus teaching us um, this is the part to worship God, and this is the part where you ask for stuff. It's very, very practical. Love God and love others. So reciting this prayer of Jesus over and over, as many people and churches do, opens us to being formed by the prayer that, it's, that, that is being made. You know, some, some Christians have objected to praying a prayer that is uh, written down and repeating a prayer over and over again because Jesus said things like, when you pray, don't babble like the pagans and just be mindlessly repetitious. So we're like, well, we're not supposed to pray a set prayer like this. Um, it feels too religious, especially people from other backgrounds that perhaps come to this church and they're like, I like how it doesn't feel religious here. Um, but I, I'd encourage us not to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this one. Uh, because this prayer is meant to be recited when you pray, and it's meant to transform the asking and the, and the declaration of prayer within us and change us. So we are teaching our soul to be in line with God and his will and his kingdom through praying this prayer. Um, you think about some of the Psalms will say things like, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God, my soul. The psalmist is talking to himself, and he's teaching his soul, despite what you feel and what you think and what, what's going on, and answers are not answers to prayer. My soul, remember that God is on the throne, that God loves you. Worship him for who he is. You know, that's the, the thing. And this prayer is meant to teach our soul as well. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You know, I find myself with this prayer driving to and from work, um, waking up and going to sleep, time in the afternoon. I, I think of this prayer. And every time I think about this prayer, my mind fills in the blanks of what these things are that we're saying. So when, when, when you pray, God... Let your kingdom come. You know, you're, you're thinking about your life and the situation that you're in, and you're saying, God, I don't know how to change things, but I want things to be in line with your will. I want your kingdom to be brought to bear upon my difficulties at home, my personal difficulties where I'm struggling, um, sin problems I'm, so, I'm easily entangled by, or work situations. God, let your kingdom come. It's a prayer of surrender. Let your will be done, which is very like, close to the kingdom come idea. Um, and then... Also, God, give us what we need today. Um, I think all of us have something in mind when we pray that part of the prayer because we all have many things that we need. 
and forgive us our sins, just like we forgive those who sin against us. That's a good prayer to remind your soul. Because we need to be taught that there is no sin against you that cannot be forgiven. That, that our accounts with God are, are right. Because we have forgiven those just as God has forgiven us. And keep us from losing the faith and leaving the faith. Now, these are good, good prayers. Um, and it's, it's, it's really awesome just to take this prayer and in your mind to fill in the blanks and to just find that you are praying in line with the very will of Jesus for how you should pray in the Bible. That's a pretty awesome thing. That's an assurance that we can have um, whenever we pray. We follow this prayer and recite this prayer. Our souls are learning to look to Jesus alone, Christ alone, and it's changing the way we think. I love this, this handout for the kids today. So if kids, if you have this handout, uh, this is a really neat thing that someone has come up with. And this is something that teaches us to um, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. It's called the five-finger prayer. And of course, the, the thumb is not a finger, so I'm going to just point that out. But the first finger is the thumb. That's, a, that's where you praise God. You start, start your prayers by praising God. One of my greatest friends, uh, Linda Thomas, when we, when we have our prayer on Wednesdays, we will be talking about all the things going on and what we need to be praying for before we pray. And, and she'll often say, I really feel the Lord wants us just to worship him for his faithfulness and what he's done. And I'm like, oh yeah, thank you, Linda Thomas. But it's so easy to, to jump past praising and worshiping God, and then you lose the context for the entire prayer. You know, the rest of it isn't as powerful if you don't start with, with God. So with the, with the thumb... And you can color this any way you want, kids. Make it a different color for each finger. You praise God. Two, you confess your sins. Things are coming between you and God where you feel um, you've sinned against God or sinned against somebody else. You make it right with God. You maybe talk to someone you've sinned against. You, then number three, you thank God for all he's doing in your life. And then number four, th that's all the part that's pointed to God. And then number four, uh, you, you pray for other people around you. Number five, you pray for yourself. And then when your fist is closed, the prayer is over. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and I love this. On the, on the handout, when there was an explanation, it said that praying for yourself is the fifth finger because, you know, you're the least important or something, you know? I, I don't think, I, I think that it's just another finger, right? Because <laughs> it's not. God wants us to pray for ourselves. He wants us to pray for others and for ourselves. He wants us to lavish prayers on behalf of other people, just like we do for ourselves. So whatever selfishness we have, our pinky part of the prayer, um, we're supposed to leverage all of that prayer for the good of somebody else. And if you are struggling with an enemy or someone that set themselves against you, the prayers of blessing you pray on yourself, you should pray on your enemies. God, let them find your forgiveness. Um, let God, again, this, is, this prayer is teaching us to, to how to think and how to pray. And it grounds us uh, in loving God and loving others, and it's an awesome thing. So I recommend the, the five-finger prayer. Five fingers of prayer. And then, of course, the, the second page is just a fun, never-stop-praying uh, sheet for the kids. So, so fill those things and be thinking about that. I would even encourage you kids to take this handout, or if, you, if an adult grabs it, and just put it somewhere where you see it. You know, teach your soul how to pray to God. If you don't know what you're doing, let God teach you through this amazing prayer. Once again, the Lord's Prayer here is, is a pattern which is meant to shape how we think about God, about ourselves, and about our world in the midst of that prayer. 
you know, to guide us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I definitely re recommend um, learning this prayer and using it as a model for your praying. So that's the first lesson in the group of three. That's the Lord's Prayer. The next lesson he's going to teach us about prayer, he does with a story, with a parable, and shows us how to pray to God with confidence in his generosity. So this is 11, 5, 2, 8. So right after the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So it's an interesting little story, and the whole story hangs on this, this, uh, this word, which is translated as shameful, shameless audacity. I always love it when you're reading, studying the Bible, and you find a Greek word that is either used just a few times in the scriptures or used only once. When I find those kind of words, I pay attention because the writer, usually Paul, I will say, he intentionally took a word that isn't commonly used and used it in the story. So that word is uh, anodia, which is what's pronounced, what's uh, translated as shameless audacity. And this this word seems to point to something negative, shamelessness. Um, you know, almost a rudeness, and a, like a, something that should not be done in polite society. Um, shameless audacity. And the whole, word, the whole story kind of rides on this word. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how does shameless audacity, rudeness, factor into our prayers? How rude should we be for God to hear us? I'm only kidding with you, but... Well, it doesn't really... Of course that doesn't fit in with prayer. You know, that's uh, in a straightforward way. God is not, God's not teaching us to be rude when we come to him, though he does want us to be authentic. This is what's known as an argument being made from lesser to greater. If a friend is annoyed with you and his kids are in bed and he... He, like, won't give you anything, but you keep on knocking rudely in the middle of the night, then that friend will eventually help you to get rid of you. That's what he's saying. Lesser to greater. And so the, the, the thing is, if, if a sinful person will do this for you, how much more will your Father in Heaven do this for you? This is the passage that's teaching us, just, just what do you think about when you think of God? Is God a miserly, stingy person? who only hears the prayers of some people and only when they're done in the proper way. You know, is God really so petty that he won't, you know, this is our, our, the argument from lesser to greater. There's another in, in uh, Luke 18, and um, in that passage, there's a widow who is lacking justice. So she comes to the judge, but the problem is the judge is a corrupt judge. He doesn't care about the widow. But she keeps on banging on his door and begging for justice. 
And he gets annoyed by her, and he finally says, fine, I'll do whatever you ask, just to get rid of her. And the, the thing is not saying God is like the judge or God is like the friend at midnight. It's saying if people are like this who are sinful can function in this way, how much more will your Father in heaven? If a less than excited sleeping parent, and if you have been a parent before with kids, imagine all of your kids are in your room and someone's banging on your bedroom door and about to wake up your kids who have been up all night. That's a pretty annoying situation. If a less than excited parent will respond to a friend's um, rudeness with generosity, how much more will God, who is the God of self-giving love, who is the God who came in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, who never sleeps, who's always um, responding, how much more will God? Ephesians 6.18 says that we should come to God in prayer on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all of God's people. That's a pretty big encouragement, Ephesians 6. All kinds of prayers, all occasions, come to God with these things. No prayer is too small, no prayer is too big to bring it to God. James 4 says, says famously, you have not because you ask not. You know? It's encouraging us, like, come to God. Come to him. He really is a father. He really does love you. He really does care. And even if you don't understand his ways and your prayers don't get answered the way you want them to be answered or they should have been answered, it doesn't take away from God's goodness and faithfulness. Um, come to God with all these things. Strongly, we're strongly in encouraged to do this and to do it confidently, to come before God confidently in prayer. Because God is not like the friend at midnight or the unjust judge. He is a loving, perfect, righteous father. If we, can, if we can expect a, ba a bad parent or bad friend or a bad judge to do something if we bug them enough, how much more will God, when we ask him? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's that same argument. If God gave the ultimate gift Forgiveness of our sins, the righteousness of Jesus, eternal life with God, reconciliation. If he, if he gave us all of that, then why would he become stingy all of a sudden with our daily needs and things we bring before him? No, he wouldn't. So a lot of Jesus teaching us how to pray is, yeah, follow a pattern to teach your soul how to pray. And then number two, consider how you think about God when you pray. What thoughts come to mind? Are they scriptural or right or what? Talk to him as if he cares and loves us. The final lesson on prayer is from Luke 11. So after all this, after the model, after the story, Jesus says, So I say to you, sum this all up. If you ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, once again, if even poor parents give, give kids enough food to survive and water, even terrible parents will sometimes take care of those needs while, while being terrible in many other areas, how much more God, the perfect parent, who loves you and gave his son for you? And this passage says, persist. Ask God for things. It's okay. Seek God for things. And knock on the door until it's opened. This passage is about how to pray, but it's also about who the one we are praying to is like. God is not like the unloving father, the sinful father, but he's a generous, loving father. It's different. At the end of this passage, there's a bit of a surprise in this version of the Lord's, of the, the passage in the Gospels. It says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a little bit surprising to our eyes that he would say the Holy Spirit rather than talking about you know, the provisions or, or the, the whatever it might be. Um, it's surprising. But if you look at the, these themes of the Lord's Prayer, you look at the theme of a- asking, seeking, and knocking, all these different things in this passage, you know, it's clear that this is a, a shorthand of saying all of the things that we bring to him. That he will, he, if he gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us all things. So God takes care of our needs. It's also a good reminder that God gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks of him. Literally. You know, so if you are seeking after God and seeking more of him, he will give his very self to you again. So I say to you, you know, wherever you are in this area of prayer, I just wanted to, to give this encouragement from God's word uh, to guide you back towards prayer this morning if you aren't, if you aren't there. You know, instead, of, uh, instead of kind of passing over the Lord's prayer as being something that you, you don't really know what to do with, you know, begin, begin praying this, repeating this prayer. Whenever you pray, um, allow God to shape your expectations and what you're asking through his instruction in the word. Fill in the blanks of this prayer as you're praying with, with things that, um, with the real needs and circumstances in your life. All while asking God to let his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let that prayer shape your expectation. Now be encouraged not to just view God as a grumpy neighbor, a wicked father, or an unjust judge, and entertain the possibility that the truth that God is good even better than we can hope or imagine. The person that you that you have felt the most love from, who's been the most Christ-like, if that person is good, how much more good is Jesus than that person, you know? He is a reflection of the goodness we see in other people. He is generous. I love the, the parable of the sower that we started our series with this summer. The father is throwing seed. It lands on the path. It lands on the thorns. It lands on the good soil. It lands on the rocky soil. God doesn't withhold seed just because the soil is bad. God is always working. He's generous at sowing. God is our Father. He's our, he's our Father. And like a good father, God loves to hear from his children um, both their needs and everything that is on their hearts. So join me in prayer as we go back to, um, to sing this Lord's Prayer once again. Father, we thank you for, your, for, for the gift of inspiration from your word. And I, I just personally am so thankful to you, God, that no matter where we are in our journey, that your word is an encouragement this morning. And I pray that we would leave this place different than we came, that we learn how to abide in you, 
that we learn how to do only what we see you doing, that we learn to seek the solitary places to pray to you and to be, to be with you, knowing that you're a loving Father who knows what we need before we ask you, who knows the number of hairs in our head, and who values us highly. So God, change us, Lord, and help us to learn a new way to think about you, to pray, and teach us, God, in Jesus' name.